Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa. In the left corner, it's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. My name is Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Left vs. Right on 77 WABC Radio. It is great to have you along. I am uh, speaking to you from the left of Right vs. Left. Curtis Lee will be coming in at the 3 o'clock hour to represent the right. As I've said many times on this program, I think we have to come up with a new name. Curtis and I are going to talk about that a little bit later. We're also, a little later, going to go into a little deeper dive of some of the heavy news today on the economic front. We're going to talk about inflation and talk about the shortage of baby formula that is now really have the country in its grips. Um, I'm really grateful to be here with you. I'm feeling a lot of gratitude in general right now. Uh, This has been a a nice day. Jordan and I, my 10-year-old son, took him to play hockey this morning, got a chance to watch him. He has been obsessed with watching YouTube videos of trick shots, and so he was trying them today on the ice, and I think I got one on video. And then a little later... We're going to sit down and watch some hockey. You know, I'm a hockey fan. I think I mentioned that to you guys before. I know that's a little bit of a niche sport, but a lot of New Yorkers are paying attention to it now because the Rangers advanced to a Game 7 in rather dramatic fashion yesterday. Come from behind. Come from behind win on a goal that, frankly, I think I would have stopped in my men's league. Um, But spending some time with Jordan, his mom is away. Uh, Huma, my former wife, is away. She's promoting her book. And so we have some time together. We're going to get a chance to watch three Game 7s today, two Game 7s tomorrow. That's the first time that's happened in the NHL playoffs, I think, since uh, 1992 when there were six Game 7s in one round. Um, It's also kind of a propitious day for me personally that has me feeling a good deal of gratitude. At 12.01 midnight last night, I was officially completed my three-year probation that went along with my 21-month sentence. Uh, I served, for those of you who don't know my story, I served a sentence for a federal obscenity crime um, and uh, pleaded guilty to it, accepted responsibility. It Ultimately, that was not my bottom. I had hit my bottom before that, but um, I have, uh, I have you know, a, a sense of gratitude for the process. I also have a sense of respect for the probation process. You know, for the last three years since I've left prison, I have had to get permission to leave the New York City area. I've had to report um, regularly where I was. I had to be subject to regular visits by my probation officer, and and it really, I, I, I'm in the, I was in the federal system, so I wonder why the city and state systems are not similar, because under the system that I was under, it's very, it's not impossible to recidivist. It happens all the time, but when you're on 
supervision, if it's going, if it's being done right, and I give a, a lot of credit to the supervisory system that I got a chance to observe, unfortunately, right up close, um, it really does keep you on the straight and narrow. That was uh, three years ended last night at midnight. I served twenty one month sentence is what the sentence was. They don't, you, there's no early release anymore, and there's no parole anymore per se in the federal system. What they do now is they give you ten percent automatically off for. Good, good behavior, essentially. And then as you go through your term in prison, if you misbehave, you lose those days. And so I served 18 months and five days in a, in a prison in Massachusetts and then three months in a halfway house up in the Bronx. So I'm feeling very grateful now to get to be with my son. I was with my son is basically a, the, the alpha parent while my wife, when she was working for Hillary Clinton, was away a lot on the campaign trail. She's an amazing mom, but was traveling a lot. And then when I went away to prison, it really was very difficult for Jordan, difficult for me, obviously. And so I'm feeling a lot of gratitude that I get to spend today with him. And also a lot of gratitude to be on the air with all of you. This, these are like some tough times we're going through. And I get a chance to to hear a little bit about what you have to say. I want you to be a part of this conversation. The show doesn't really work without you. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'll also give you my email address and my Twitter handle, although I don't manage them myself anymore for reasons if you know my history anthony weiner at aol.com and at rep weiner is my twitter account and there's an enormous amount of news this week on the economic front and none of it very good the stock market is getting hammered inflation numbers came out again on monday and they were up a slower pace than they were the previous month but that's still not good inflation is still too high and what has made it even more scary is this shortage that has emerged of baby formula and I've been listening to a lot of the commentary here on, on the station, and the station is doing remarkably well. And under John Katzenmatidis' leadership, it has grown to be one of the top stations in the entire city and is also one of the uh, most powerful uh, radio stations in the entire country. So it's doing well. There's a lot of conversation, and, and there is a tendency, particularly because we're getting close to midterm elections, to point – where blame is and hopefully make sure that whatever goes wrong right now, someone gets blamed for it. And one of the things that that this station has focused on more and more, and one of the reasons why I've joined the team here, at least as a guest for a while, is to bring a little common sense to the discussion. Like, yeah, there are some things that very clearly government, there's a government matrix, there are mistakes that get made. But I think that if you're going to find some common sense about what's going on with the shortage of baby formula, um, it's really hard to find what you think government should or should not done differently if we believe in a capitalist kind of based economy that we have today, and I certainly do. Um, like there are shortages right now of lots of things. There are ports that are struggling because of COVID getting enough manpower at the ports. There are staff shortages all over. And we have uh, a, a, a baby food business that when you have a disruption, it can be very bad. And the reason is that formula is very, very predictable as a product. The companies know how much it's going to be consumed from month to month, from day to day, from year to year. And a good company is producing exactly what, how much they need so they don't have a lot retained in inventory, especially when it's a perishable, a perishable product. So when there's any kind of disruption in that kind of a business, it can be, well, disrupting. It can be difficult. And in this case, Abbott Labs closed up their plant in Michigan um, and it became a real problem. They didn't close it up just for any old reason. And they didn't close it up just because for the heck of it. They closed it because at least four babies got sick and at least two died 
um, in what uh, at least the Food and Drug Administration and Abbott eventually came to believe might have been related to their products. Um, And normally that would not be a colossal problem, except a grand total of three companies represent 94% of the entire baby formula business, Abbott, Gerber, and Ricklet. That's almost the entire business. And that concentration happens because concentration is good for business. Concentration means that you can command higher prices, and concentration also means that you can demand lower wages because there are fewer places for workers to go and fewer places for consumers to go. So so that's capitalism working if you think it's working. Now, I believe that there should be hedges on those things. I believe strong labor unions help to keep wages up. I believe more competition would make for um, – for I think competition would be good. Now, you can argue if you want to point fingers – You can say, well, maybe the federal government should have done more under Donald Trump, under Joe Biden, under Bill Clinton, under the president's proceeded to bring antitrust actions against these companies to figure out a way to break them up. And so when people say today to Joe Biden, you should have done something. Why didn't you anticipate it? I guess it's reasonable to say that maybe what you should have done is try to break up this oligopoly which exists um, or duopoly of these three companies controlling it. But when you lose product from one-third of that, um, and Abbott is about 40% of that, those three companies, when you, when you lose that, you're going to have shortages. And it's not going to be because government did something or didn't do something. It's because that's the way capitalism worked out. Now, there are instances that government has done things that you can argue make this worse, but it's not the way – it doesn't break down in the political way that you think. It comes down to bureaucracy and rulemaking that has made it difficult for products to be brought into our country from Europe, for example, which has, by the way, higher standards on baby formula than we do. So if you hear rulemaking, big bureaucracy, okay, so that's obviously the language that Republicans use to attack Democrats. But in the case of this industry, it's the other way around. The bureaucracy and the labeling and the things are to protect these companies. These big businesses lobby for more of these regulations because they know it will make it less likely that anyone will come in to compete with them from overseas. So in the cases of complaining, who do you want to blame? Actually, the rules that are getting made that make this very difficult, labeling standards and the like, it is not only Democrats. I'm not saying that there are no Democrats who believe in those things, but it's also Republicans basically doing a lot of the bidding for these companies. This is the same as the pharmaceutical industry. There are many ways to make to make it better for consumers by allowing products to more easily be, it be imported here. And it is usually Republicans who say, no, don't do that. That's not safe because they want to protect these companies. These companies like it this way. Those three companies that I mentioned, Abbott, Gerber, Record, they like the status quo as it exists. So if you say, well, Joe Biden, you should do something about it. Yeah, one of the things that we can do and one of the things that they are looking at is how they take some of these regulations and make them more consistent and more friendly to consumers, even if it means competition for our for our companies. Now, this is a two-edged sword. Both Joe Biden and Donald Trump have done things policy-wise on the Buy America front that have made it more difficult for us to solve this problem. But again, this is this is capitalism. Maybe capitalism gone too far, maybe not far enough. That's entirely 
um, up to your perspective. But this whole idea of Joe Biden do something, well, does that mean make it easier to import these products, even though these big companies and a lot of their allies in Congress don't want that to happen? And there's one other thing. And before I go to it, let me just repeat the phone number, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk a little about this. And then when Curtis comes in at the top of hour, he's got some interesting things to talk about, including why you may need to bring your own sand to the beach of some parts of New York this summer. And also uh, an op-ed that he wrote uh, that I disagree with in some cases on um, how do you bring down crime in New York. But for now, we're, we're just talking about the economy. We're talking a little bit about this this baby formula shortage. And the final thing I want to say about this, when people say, well, you should do something about it, or Joe Biden, how come you didn't do anything about it? Look, the fact of the matter is our policy in this country is that we devote a lot of, lot of money to preventing senior citizens from becoming poor and for helping out kids who are poor. And we have Social Security. I'm a big supporter of that. Medicare, I'm one of the forefront of, of defending that when I was in Congress. These are programs that have made it such that with because of their successes, we have relatively few seniors that are poor in this country, only about 14%. We don't make the similar effort to take care of kids. And why do I mention that in this context? Well, I mention that in this context is that, you know, when you have poor families that may need to have access to um, to this formula, part of the way we do it is through the WIC program, women, infants and, and, and children. And even that is an instance where we enter into states, provide those services, and they enter into contracts with these big baby formula companies that are sometimes not in the best interest of either the people getting the service, the states, but they always wind up being in the best interests of these big companies. So here we are, we're in a situation that we have a crisis, and this is frequently how it is that we start to focus on these kind of imperfections in our allegiance to all-purpose capitalism. I think most Americans are somewhere in the common-sense middle, like John Cancipatidis talks about, that capitalism works – But capitalism needs to have guardrails. It needs to have regulations to make sure the companies don't get so big. It needs to have standards to make sure that if something goes wrong with that product, not only can it be removed from the marketplace, but it doesn't create um, a shortage that that makes it so that people have to go out and and, and try to, to find out how to manage without. And we also have to recognize that we need sometimes government programs to backstop bureaucracies uh, uh, to backstop um, uh, uh, companies with something resembling a bureaucracy, and we have to find the middle ground. And the one final thing to kind of keep in, keep in mind here, as people say, well, it's Joe Biden's fault or it's someone else's fault. Look, a lot of the solution here is going to be more government. It's basically people on the right, Republicans in Congress, saying, hey, Joe Biden, come in and do something. Well, what is who Joe Biden does? Joe Biden runs the federal bureaucracy. No one right now is saying, boy, I wish we had less government, uh, less government control or less government bureaucracy around this. In many cases, people are saying they want more. Now, sometimes they are saying, yes, maybe we shouldn't have these labeling restrictions and, and whatnot. But that's the conflict here. I know we have this affinity and we do it here. We're an opinion radio here. It's very nice to be able to say that guy did it. That party did it. This guy got it wrong. But in this case, this is capitalism. Sometimes it's imperfect. Sometimes it needs an adjustment period, and that's true with other parts of the economy, like inflation, which we'll talk about a little bit as well. This is Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. So pleased to have you with us. We're talking about the economy today. 
We're talking about crime a little bit later. Curtis Lee will be here at the top of the hour. This is Left versus Right on 77 WABC Talk Radio. See you on the other side. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner. Elvis Costello bringing us in. We were having a conversation a little bit earlier here at the studio about what makes a good music bumper for a talk radio station. It's got to have some energy. It's got to have a little bit of a message. But I'm not sure. I'm still learning as I go. This first hour, I'll be here with you on my own, on my lonesome, with the great gang on the other side of the glass. And then Curtis comes in at the 3 o'clock hour. We're talking about some of the tremors in the economy right now and uh, one that really hits close to home and that is this baby formula shortage. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, this program does not work without you. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. My email address is anthonyweiner at AOL.com. Go ahead, mock me for being the last guy with an AOL email address. Um, and we have some calls up on the board. I want to get to them. And a little later, we're going to talk to Curtis about crime and also whether you're going to have to bring sand to the beach when you travel uh, to New York beaches this this summer. And the point I've been trying to make about the baby former th- formula thing is, is, is that, look, it's complicated and it's serious. And I know we'd like to be able to point fingers and say there's a direct line between what someone did and did not. And, and, and make no mistake about it, you don't have to do much research online to find instances where I did that as a member of Congress. Said, you know, hey, it's raining this afternoon. It wouldn't be raining if it weren't for the Republicans or – Here's this this price of whatever wouldn't gone up if it not for the other side. I get that. But now that I'm sitting here after doing 20 some odd years in government and now doing one of the things I want to do on this program is to try to bring a little more context. And and I think the common sense thing to say here is that these are you know, these are the natural outgrowths of of capitalism. And when when we let capitalism operate, it's going to often bring us. Cheaper products, it's going to improve our quality of life, it's going to employ us, it's going to give us a higher standard of living. But every once in a while, we're going to have problems like this that are going to arise. Let me hear what you have to say. I'd love to to get to your calls. We have a lot of them on the line, so let's get to a few of them. First, uh, let's get to Danny in Long Island. Danny, welcome aboard. Good afternoon. I also have an AOL address, by the way. (laughs) I never saw any any reason to change it. I mean, why would I? So anyway, listen. Before I get to the topic du jour, which is the baby formula, you know, it's funny because we all want the in-between, uh, the, the common sense solution and, and, and the meet halfway. The problem, and I think you're going to agree with me on this, is that my position as a, as a slightly moderate conservative, the far left has gone so far that the, 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 the agreeable position is no longer agreeable. Where 30 years ago, Ed Koch was my mayor and you were the representative. We weren't that far apart. I haven't changed. My opinions haven't changed on some issues national security, isolationism, a lot of financial, but the other side in, in, has gone so far to the left that there's no more compromise position. It's like trying to find a compromise between communism and democracy. I'm just using that as an example. I don't mean to say the Democratic Party is, is uh, communist. That, that, that's my problem with where we are now, is that the middle, the middle ground is no longer anywhere even remotely similar to where I was, where, where, you know, where it used to be. So that's, what's the middle ground when you want to teach my kid 
uh, CRT and all these other things about, you know, there is no middle ground now. That would never have been discussed 20 years ago. So about the formula. So obviously I have, I have four grand, I have three grandchildren. I'm about to have five. And I can see now the panic is now set loose. And I don't blame any mother for walking in that if they see their particular formula that their kid use, that they don't grab every single bottle. Because you have to have it up until three to six months of age. There's really no alternative if you're not nursing. So I, now the panic is out. So now it's full-fledged. And I do not blame the president of the United States that that plant got shut down for safety reasons. That's why we want our government to exist. However, Representative Stefanik in February, what happened, sent a letter to the FDA saying, we just lost 30% of our supply. What are we doing to help? And they did nothing. So somewhere along the line in the bureaucracy, which is entirely too big, someone did not see that this was going to happen. Just like now I read in the paper that there's a medical imaging dye that's made in China that we can no longer get because of the lockdown. So people won't be able to get MRIs after another week or two or when they put the ink into your, your blood. So why are well, the, the thing, going back to President Trump, is that regardless of the cost, we have to make products at home. I was willing to pay $50 more for my washing machine to know that I was keeping a family employed. We are, we are basically subsidizing slave labor all over the country at the sake of our own solid-paying domestic. That's Open up more factories. Let the formula cost a dollar more. I know it's safe. Now, we have to get formula from England or Scotland or something. We don't have yeah, another this is, formula. Uh, it's, it's, it's a disgrace. Well, thank you. I appreciate You know, we could do four shows based on Danny's call. First of all, congratulations on the grandkids. Look, let me just take the, the bit at the beginning because what Danny basically articulated, and thank you so much for the call, was basically the, the sensibility of this exact show is that I believe that a lot of people believe they have not moved – but people are moving around them. And the reason for that is, is there is a perception and you get it here. I won't say it's not the case. You get it here that the extreme represents the mainstream. And that's and to say it's just the left. Look, you we literally had people on the right stabbing police officers on the steps of the Capitol in the name of, of their political uh, philosophy on the right, too. So this is sins on both sides. But let me just 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 take Danny's last point, because it is enormously important. It is. If we really believe what we say, I remember back in the day, Walmart was never a thing here in New York, but Walmart used to have a thing where they had little American flags along their aisles to show that they were what products were made in America because that was their stock and trade. We were going to have American products. When the marketplace became this international thing of how fast can you get it and how cheap can you get it? That changed. And unfortunately, Danny is the exception. Too many people say, wow, I can get a $15 pair of jeans, have it delivered to me overnight without paying postage and sometimes without even paying tax. Huh, I'm going to go ahead and do that without realizing that what then it means is that if someone catches cold at a port in China, it means that your product's going to be delayed or you're not going to get it or it's going to cost you 25% more. And I don't believe that Danny represents where most of people are. I think most people say, hey, I love the idea of having a $300 80-inch TV. I, I love that idea. And they are willing, they, they are not willing to pay an extra 25% to have it made in the United States of America. And the proof is in the pudding. We don't make shoes here anymore. We barely make a, a, apparel here anymore. It is the exception rather than the rule that the clothing on our back is made in the United States rather than, than somewhere else. Um, next, let's go to Bill in Bradley Beach. Yeah, hi, Anthony. You said, said, well, the FDA is under Biden, right? So they, they're the ones that shut it down. Like Correct. Danny said, well, Trump, you always want 
asked him, he would have talked to the other people making it and said, up your production. Uh, maybe Biden did that. I doubt it. The, then Bi- Biden administration is getting it down to the border. So they had a plan for the border. And if he would have had the, uh, it didn't have an open border, and it is open, don't, don't lie about that now. It is open. All them kids that came over and need it now, so they, they've been taking it from the kids that are, are, are here legally. So the illegal people are, and they are illegal when you come over because they're, they're crossing other countries. They're illegal. They're, the first country is supposed to stop that. So that's illegal. And then now you mentioned the, um, uh, uh, the, the riot or the fight at the Capitol. That was open a couple hours later. But I, I believe with a, a peaceful protest, them buildings still aren't, well, there's no buildings left because they were all burnt down. But that's a peaceful protest. And he said the guy was, somebody was stabbed now. I guess he, he was like the guy with the uh, fire stinger shirt that was killed. But they, then they found out he wasn't killed by the fire stinger. People had uh, natural causes and some drug drug things. And one Babbitt was Okay. Well, let me, Bill, you've, you've, you've got a lot. And I appreciate you calling. Please call us back again. Let me just take a few of these things because you took the time to, to wait on hold and, and make the points. One, yeah, the FDA went in there and said, you gotta, you got to shut down. Abbott says Abbott basically closed down willingly in, 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 in their defense. There wasn't an order or anything. And it's not just a matter of going to another one and say ramp up supply. As I said, the baby formula industry, they produce exactly basically what they need because it's a very predictable. It's not just throwing a switch and turning it back on. Yes, flagging that you've got a problem is not the same as saying that government has the ability to go and fix the problem. Secondly, this mythology, and I see a couple of people on the board about this. We can talk about it more if you really want to. This mythology that children at the border somehow took baby formula from somewhere else. This consent decree that was entered into the Flores settlement in 1997, re-entered into in 2015, are uh, not re-entered into, but confirmed by the courts in 2015, says you basically that when when children come over, whether accompanied or unaccompanied, you have to keep them alive. You have to feed them. So they had to provide them with. So the baby form is down there. By the way, the stockpiles that are there today were not put there by Biden. They were put there by the Trump administration. Whatever you think about Donald Trump, I'm no big fan. He fought to get rid of this Flores settlement so that you you didn't have to feed the kids. That and when that. When he lost that case, it's not like he ignored the law. He followed the law and sent food down there to take care of these kids. One final thing, and we did an immigration episode uh, a few weeks ago, and I'm willing to do it again, and I'm willing to take these calls again. Stop saying that these people, the people that are getting or that are crossing over the border are doing so legally. They may not be allowed to stay here legally, but they are legally coming across the border. That's why they're in our custody. They're showing up and saying, I want refugee status. I want asylum. I want protection of the United States government according to our laws. Now, it's inefficient. We want to discourage them from coming. We don't have a really great system. The the how the 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 uh, uh, members of Congress have not been able to get together to pass a law to hire more administrative officers and judges to process them, but they are not crossing the desert unaccompanied. Ninety five, ninety nine, a hundred percent of them that are in our custody now, their children. The way they got into our our custody was crossing over the border at one of our border crossings and saying, "I am here to apply to be in this country lawfully." That's what they're doing here. Um, next, uh, let's uh, let's go to David in New Jersey. David, thank you for holding on. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is David. I'm a pharmacist. Uh, every single day, this important medicine is not available. The, F- the FDA is more involved with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and not involved with uh, securing medicines for people. Most of the medicines are not made in this country. 
If you go in the pharmacy, almost 90% of the products are overseas. We're in big trouble. And it's going to come now. We're going to be Venezuela. Venezuela has oil, but there's nothing to pump out of the ground. We have oil and we have high prices. They they destroyed their judicial system. We're destroying our judicial system. The only ones that are getting rich, Anthony, are Congress people. They're the ones getting a lot of kickback. They're getting a lot of campaign contribution. The WIC program is a kickback to uh, politicians. They get a lot of money. Why do you think the prices are so high? What do you think when the product was available, baby formula, it was under lock and key because government caused the prices to go up because there was disparity. We were given a WIC program, and all these uh, manufacturers raised the price because they were getting Kick, they had they were getting price they had the control of the market yeah that's that, that okay finally david after a long list of things you finally said something that's right <laughs> yes that is true that because they had control of the market because there's only three of these major manufacturers because there there are um there's not a lot of competition, and because government has not broken them up has not said we have to introduce competition here. Yes, the prices are high, but all of that other stuff, kickbacks and wake look, I, I am not a great fans of some of my former colleagues, Democrat and Republican, um, but I don't know how WIC is a kickback, how a program that keeps children, um, that helps children survive is a kickback to, um, uh, to, to anyone. Uh, next, let's go to Maria and Tom's River. Maria, what do you have to say about things? Well, hello, Mr. Weiner. Hi, Maria. Okay, I was just listening, before you came on, I was listening to the money show that preceded you. It's a great show. Right. And Steve Forbes was a guest, and he's talking about inflation, and that throughout history, governments always blame inflation on a scapegoat, that the Romans blame the Christians, the Nazis blame the Jews, etc. So you come on, and you're blaming this baby formula on, it's all capitalism. It's not. It's nothing on Biden and his merry band of incompetent evil, whatever. The point is, if they shut down the factory, what are we going to do about it? If Trump was president, I'm sure anybody would agree something would be done under under Mr. Biden and his regime. Nothing's going to be done to fix it. And I fear that this is only the beginning. I think we'll start seeing shortages in medicines and food and everything. That everything is breaking down. It's capitalism's fault. It's not. It's not the administration. No, Maria. Fault. Maria, I'm saying. You know, the point I'm making, and you're kind of doing a little bit about of what I I'm saying here is that you're looking desperately for someone to point a finger at. And I appreciate you calling, Maria. Call us back again. You're looking desperately, and sometimes this is just what happens when you have a capitalist system that tries to get low prices, tries to get products developed and out the door in an efficient way. I mean, yeah, there's not a lot of excess capacity, and this is not like other products. This is a product that we absolutely need to have if if you are a parent of an infant. So, you know, you're saying, well, Donald Trump would have done something. Okay. I'm open to suggestions on what you think, like how you think this benefits Joe Biden to not do something to kind of improve the supply of baby formula when when a, a, a company that represents 40 percent of the market can't stay, can't keep up with demand any longer. 
I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. The point that I'm making is I'm not, I'm doing the opposite of scapegoating. I'm saying this is just sometimes stuff happens. It, it does. Sometimes that you can't say, well, if only my congressman was more on the ball. Now, that's not to say that in this year's election, someone is not going to point to his colleague who he's running against and say, you caused the, the, Great, the great baby formula shortage of 2022. I'm just saying that this sometimes these types of things are going to happen. Now, sometimes they're avoidable, but the solutions are not things that most politicians want to do. They're not. They don't want to take on these big companies and say that we want to have more competition coming in from overseas. Right. Most most politicians say make it in America, like the previous caller said. So most people are not going to say raise the cost. So we have extra lying around. Most people don't want to do that. Most people are not going to say break up these companies, or at least most most politicians won't want to say that. So, I mean, look, there are things we can do. We can have, you know, strong environment, strong protections for consumers, but there's only a limit to it. Every once in a while when my my constituents would come to me and say, congressmen, do something. I would say to them, you know, there's a lot of times that government is not going to solve this problem. And we got into this problem because Abbott made a mistake with its formula. We're going to have to get out of this problem that way. But I just want to make it very clear that if someone within the sound of my voice is dealing with this shortage, they should call their pediatrician And because this is not just a novel political issue for them. Um, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, there's another call on the board, a couple of them actually, about this border, the issue of baby formula at the border. So let me spend a little time clarifying that and hearing what people have to say. And soon Curtis will be in. We'll be talking about his proposals for cutting down on crime and also the need for more sand in the Rockaways. It's Anthony Weiner. Thanks for joining us. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is Left versus Right. Curtis Lee will be joining us at the top of the hour. We came back with Elvis Presley there. Elvis Costello the time before. You see what we did there? Thank you so much for being part of my afternoon, part of our afternoon here at WABC Talk Radio. If you want to stream this, it's at WABCRadio.com. Please join the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We are talking about the baby formula shortage. We're talking about inflation in general, government role in all of this in general. But as with everything, kind of the black hole, that the vortex of everything that seems to get get us dragged into sometimes is uh, is the matrix of immigration into all of these cases. And I um, spent some time a couple of weeks ago talking about immigration and where I think the middle ground exists for that. There's not a lot of political will in the middle of the of the parties for immigration reform. But let's have a little bit of a conversation about how immigration impacts the baby formula shortage. And in Staten Island, you've been very patient. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thank you. Um, my concern is this, and I understand what you explained about why the formula is down at the border. However, it, it's not even logical to me that there's a, a tremendous supply of baby formula at the border, and the mothers here can't find it because it's on empty shelves. Can't we split it up? Can't we get some of the 
baby formula that's at the border and bring it here so that mothers here can get it. I mean, it, it's it's not even logical. Yeah, it, it does. It, you, yeah, it, it isn't as, as simple as first of all, there's not so much of it down there that that it's going to waste and not being used. It's it's being used. For, unfortunately, we do have a problem. And I've talked about this at length. We do have a problem with a lot of families showing up, a lot of unaccompanied minors showing up, a lot of babies, unfortunately, that are showing up that we have to have to take care of there. And it's also a little bit of a problem that the shortage situation that we have in the United States is not evenly distributed. We have to fight a 40 percent of the shelves are empty. The question on where they are, some of it, some of the distribution problems are, are half the, are, are the problems. Other people have suggested, by the way, well, why not just have other companies augment what Abbott does? Well, no, a lot of the products that Abbott makes, a lot of the formulas that are made are very specific, have very specific formulations because of children that have certain tolerances and the like. Um, it, it, it's complicated. It's complicated. But yes, if there's, uh, if we know where some is and it's a function of redistributing them, that's part of what, um, what the Biden administration, they convened all of the, the, the shareholders, all of the stakeholders, in this at the White House this week and are trying to resolve that. But it is not like there's warehouses full of it at the border, but there are some because that's where children are. Um, next is uh, Patty in Connecticut. I don't think, you, Patty, you want to talk about immigration. Well, yeah, you you know, earlier, Anthony, I have to call you out on it. You sat there and said, oh, well, you know, the Trump administration put the formula down there. No, there was a stay in Mexico policy. Stay in Mexico. We didn't have the problems of 5,000 people showing up under a bridge in Texas. Now, did we? So what do we need all the baby formula down there in the beginning? I mean, I'm sorry. You're talking like a typical liberal politician. Yeah, immigration is complicated. But let me just explain some of the facts here. First of all, the, the, the children that are coming in, we do have a problem of people crossing the border where not at border crossings, meaning people that are trying to come over fences, come under bridges. That's generally not where the children are coming. The children are coming here because unfortunately or fortunately, depending on, on your perspective, we have a, a laws in our country that haven't been changed that give children and families that come here certain rights. That's that's the law. If I believe we should change those laws in, in many ways, I believe we should hire more administrative officers and not require them to all go through courts. So it's mon- done much faster. I believe that they should be held, not distributed out in, into the country for months and sometimes years, but for weeks close by at the border. But the laws exist today. And because we don't have a workable middle in our legislatures in the House and Senate to fix those things. That is the law that children are not here illegally until they've been deemed illegal and told that they have to leave. In that interim time, under the Flores settlement in 1997, under the laws of the states of the United States of America, if someone shows up at our border and says, I am here asking uh, for protection under U.S. laws, they get a hearing. They're either still told yes or no, and then if they're allowed to stay, they're allowed to stay, or they have to leave. Now that process is so long and so lengthy because of the gridlock in Washington that that often takes months, if not years. So, no, that's the, what, what, what the, the, the previous caller said is you – know, what Patty said – is actually not right. These children are not coming in underneath bridges. They're very often coming in from Honduras, from Guatemala, at our border lawfully. They're not illegal. And I want to say one other thing. Call me a bleeding heart, whatever. If you are a child, if you're three or four years old and you are hungry, you have committed no crime. I don't care where you're from. We should feed you. 
Okay, and 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 I this is terrible that we have a shortage of baby formula. That is true. If we have a, a child who's crying in 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 Connecticut, in Massachusetts, in New York, in California, or at the border, that's the case. If you're in our country and we're you're on our charge to take care of you, we should feed you. And that's what the court said. That's what the law says. These are not people who are coming in in different ways. And I know that immigration fires us up. And we're talking about the baby formula shortage here. But there are just some things that just are facts. I know we want to point fingers, but the fact of the matter is that those children who are coming in, by and large, are coming in following the lawful processes of our country. Uh, Chris in Long Island. Chris, you want to weigh in? Yes, Anthony. uh, Definitely want to talk about the baby formula. Just a couple quick things. First of all, congratulations on your, you know, serving your time. Thank you. And I give you credit. I don't agree with a lot of things you say, but I respect that, you know, you took your medicine and uh, that you're grateful and you show it. And your show is very good, by the way. Thank and like you, Chris. I don't agree with most anything you say, but anyhow. I appreciate um, it. No, but that being said, um, call me naive. I'm 59 years old, and I grew up, you know, at the end of the baby boomer generation, you know, where there was 10 kids on our block, you know, in some households and this and that. And as I recall, I don't know when it started, but my mother and mothers of my friends, and there was 10 of them in one of the families, they always used regular milk and they heated it up and they served the, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that's the way to go. But what I'm saying is, is that a possibility of just taking like regular milk instead of just panicking about like there's no milk here? I mean, Bette Midler, I think, for crying out loud, said, why don't you think about breastfeeding? You know, uh, I, I know it was kind of a flipping comment she made, but I don't know. I think in a way she was saying, listen, we all got to this point with baby boomers where we didn't have formula and I'm just, maybe I'm wrong or tell me where I'm going wrong by just throwing that out there as a temporary solution until we can fix this real problem. Yeah, no, first I appreciate the kind words, Chris. I mean, the, the, the challenge is, you know, Chris, baby boomer guy talking to Anthony, baby boomer guys about how, how a, a woman should take care of, of her infant in 2022. The bottom line is there are a lot of children for whom, uh, breast milk is not available, whether it be, be something to de- dealing with the mom, whether it be something to do with their own intolerances. There are many formulas. There are many kids who, who can't have milk of any, over dairy of any kind. Bottom line is this is a question for, for a pediatrician, question for parents. There's no doubt there is a ton of demand and many families that, that need this. Uh, next up is Sal on Long Island. Sal, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Anthony. How are you? Uh, you have a great show. Thank Listen. you, buddy. We know we know you don't like Donald Trump. It's okay. But Donald Trump provided us with the ventilators. Why it's more harder to make a ventilator or a baby formula? I mean, Joe Biden is a, Joe Biden is a, it's a, he he's, he he can do nothing. He can do he does whatever he's they telling him to do. When you know that, you know, it's like just you know, people will like, like love you a little bit more if you are a little bit more honest. <laughs> Sal, I, I appreciate the call and thank you. But in answer to your question that you started with, what's easier to make a ventilator, or baby formula, a ventilator, something that's mechanical that you can look at a plan, send it to a factory, and have them make it is quite different than what goes into a, a to a delicate food product, which is so delicate that it's on the borderline of being a pharmaceutical. Um, and that's why there's only three companies that dominate 94% of the market. But this is an important issue. You look, we're talking about 
We're talking about government competence. We're talking about the baby formula shortage today. We're talking about it, it, how it intermingles with other issues about inflation in the economy and capitalism in general. The point that I'm making today is that a common sense position is that, you know what, sometimes government's not going to be the answer to our problem. One of the things I want to, you know, throw out there as an idea, you know, Many people who listen to this program are pretty conservative, and traditionally conservatives believe in smaller government, in less government intervention in our lives, in allowing markets to work. Well, how does that position look today? I'm seriously, you know, a lot of people are on the line waiting to hold to say Biden should do A, Biden should do B, Biden should be C. And I guess what I'm trying to get people to do is take a step back and say, hey, perhaps this is one of those instances if we're going to be intellectually honest with ourselves that when you when you believe in smaller government it believes you're a little, you sometimes are going to have to take your lumps when things like this happen. Um and in Rockland County and what do you want to add to this? Do we still have Ann? Oh, yes, Anthony, hi. Hi, Ann. Yes, I'm here. Okay. So, um with the baby formula, I just want want to say I have a unique position. I'm a wildlife rehabilitator. I have to deal with orphans of all different species. And we got to come up with baby formula. And it's all different. But across the board, one of the best natural alternatives and uh, is goat's milk. But it has certain deficiencies, and you have to know this. Folic acid and vitamin B12 and also certain minerals. But if you were a mother and you are looking at your baby and you can't because for whatever reason it's not taking breast milk and it can't take even cow's milk. By the way, the caller who mentioned cow's milk, if you went to the uh, supermarket, got a container of cow's milk and fed it to a baby cow, that cow, that calf would die because they can't, what they do to cow. It's, it's unnatural well, the way and, people are drinking it. Well, and we're about to go to break. Thank you very much for checking in. I mean, uh, uh, I frequently wonder what, I was, what I'm going to do when I grow up. Being a wildlife rehabilitator sounds actually pretty cool. Um, apropos of that, that final call, and, and I really appreciate it, and please call us again. I want to hear more about, about your work. You know, I think maybe this is wrong. Maybe I learned this and it's not true. I think we're the only species of animal that – gives our children, our, our offspring, milk that's not our own species. Like, well, I think we're the only one that does that. But we're talking about the economy here. We're talking about the baby formula shortage. A little later on, Curtis is going to be here on Left versus Right to talk about his plans for dealing with crime. I'm really grateful to have you joining us on this big day for me and on this big day um, for my family. I hope uh, we can be part of yours for another couple hours. On 77 WABC, we'll see you on the other side. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. All right, let him have it. Singer, actor, icon, comedian, and a member of the Rat Pack. It's safe to say Dino's a talent here to stay. Dean Martin was the king of cool. Ladies and gentlemen, Dean Martin. Oh, this Sunday night at 8. Oh, 
Music Radio 77 WABC presents Dean and Dina Martin's Nightcap. That's So be a pally. Join Dina Martin for laughs, great music, and Dean Martin. Hello, everybody. On Music Radio. WABC. The 77 WABC Online Store. Hi, everybody. This is your cousin, Brucey. It's finally happened. Go to the WABCRadioStore.com. Check out the new 77 WABC merchandise. T-shirts, hats, jackets, bags, and much more. Enter discount code BRUCEY15. Is that a deal? There are so many WABC items. You'll want to go, go, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Go, go. The views and opinions expressed by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of WABC Radio, its management, or its sponsors. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. And welcome back. My name's Anthony Weiner. This is Left versus Right. Curtis Sliwa representing the right. I don't know. Right, left versus right. We're somewhere in the middle. We're trying to find some common sense, some context for the day's news. It's been a great conversation so far about the really troubling shortage in baby formula. We've had a little departure into some immigration conversation. We can do that again. I, you know, come to think of it, I think we probably should have a greater conversation about immigration because it really is a complicated issue and it does sometimes get shortened so much that we lose sight of how com- complex that it is. Also, I've mentioned that it's kind of a big day for me. going to be enjoying uh, three Game 7s in the NHL playoffs with my son Jordan, who is 10 now. And um, at 12.01 last night, at 12.01, just after midnight, I completed my three years of probation that went with my prison sentence and um, am grateful for every day. Uh, particularly grateful to be here on WABC and have an opportunity to be a little bit of service, have conversations with folks that um, really do care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be picking up the phone and dialing 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let's get a few more calls in before Curtis arrives with his magic. Uh, let's go to Jerry in New York. Jerry, how are you today? Hey, good, Anthony. I just want to say I'm going to show you something, the, the left versus the right and the difference. Like when I hear you on the radio – it, it just it infuriates me. I don't understand why a great radio station like WABC that I've been listening to for 35 years would put you on the radio. I can't understand it for the life of me. Uh, you're a, a child predator, but I, I'm not going to force or, or, or make it so that we remove you from the radio. Just this will be the last that I hear your voice going forward. And I wonder why John Katsimatidis even allowed this. Seems like a decent guy. I don't mind liberals and their opinions but to have you on the radio again is not good for new york well i appreciate jerry and and i'm glad you called and believe it or not i hope you call back again i hope you listen to the program i mean in my own defense i think that i have something to offer i have 20 some odd years of experience on the government side i've got a little experience here on the media side but i am not everyone's cup of tea there is no doubt about that uh next let's go to robert in long island city hello hello mr winner hello Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm well, Robert. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yes. Hi, you. Basically, the ones to be blaming is illegal immigration because they're coming in millions, and we have a shortage. It's demand and supply. Trust me. I live in a property here in Long Island. 
city, and if these people are coming, our taxes are going up. Real estate property taxes. Do you know why? They gotta be more schools. They have to build more schools and pay for professors and teachers. I appreciate it, Robert. Yeah, when when more people come, whether they be people from other countries or people who are just moving from other parts of the country, it does put a strain strain on things. Um, Next is Ron in Long Island. Ron, go ahead and weigh in. Anthony. Hello. Hey, Ron. Go ahead, buddy. How you doing? Listen, uh, about that that last call that you just got, I mean, the guy was a little heavy with you. You're not my cup of tea either, but I'm not going to push you down. You're trying to get your life back together. Doing what you got to do. You got a great job now. God bless you. Thank but you. that's not why I'm calling. What I'm calling about is I don't understand. You sound like a very intelligent person to me. I never met you, but you sound very intelligent. So with that being said, what I don't understand is with all these people in politics and government, lawyers, ex-lawyers, whatever you want to talk about, congressmen, senators, how come nobody sees that Biden is blatantly trying to take over the United States from inside? Not, we're not being attacked from outside. We've been attacked from within. And anybody who can't see that, to me, is blind. Blind. And if, unless something does something about this, this country's going to have a civil war like they've never seen in their life. And you know that as well as I do. So does everybody. You can't keep doing this. You know, you can smack a dog so many times in the mouth before he bites you. And that's what's happening to American people. Well, I appreciate Ron, and thank you for calling in. Call us again. Look, I don't believe that Democrats or Republicans are trying to destroy our country. I don't believe, I believe the fundamental ethos of this program is that there are people on the far left and far right for whom this conversation is one of purity. But I think that for a lot of people, and the way I break it down is about 50% of the country is strongly partisan. They believe in democratic values, they believe in Republican values, they vote that way. But they're open to having a conversation. They're opening to hear new ideas. And then there's about 30% who have just completely checked out because they believe that this is not on the level. And what we try to do here at 77 WABC Talk Radio is tell them that, yes, it is, that we want to have conflicting ideas. We want to have different ideas because that's what makes our country go around. Coming up after the uh, break, we're going to hear from Curtis Lee, who is going to tell us about his ideas on crime and why you may need to bring your sand to the beach this summer. This is Anthony Weiner. Thanks for joining us. It's the left versus the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Just heard you on the tag out, Anthony Weiner. Quite a day for you. Uh, the end of your probationary cycle. Uh, and also, uh, because you're such a hockey nut, uh, your head looks like a puck sometimes. Uh, it's going to explode from all the hockey uh, news. Three, count them, three uh, match-offs in a Game 7, including my beloved Rangers against the Crosby-less Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, I just came from the streets um, out in the shadow of the Museum of Natural History where the first ever Japanese parade took place in New York City. And by the way, you were the parade master extraordinaire when you were in office and running for the mayoralty. You were out there with the flags, running up and down, pumping up the crowd. Quick question on that. Was that something you did naturally or you learned from your mentor, Chuck Schumer, who obviously is of the age now. He can't go running up and down, but he's always got the bullhorn. He's always urging the crowd on. 
Is that something you learned from him or you just went uh, au natural in terms of your uh, desire to psych up the crowd? No, I I, uh, I learned it from Chuck. You know, I was, I was a sign guy. Uh, I would stand behind and say, Chuck Schumer, meet, meet your – I forget what it says, meet, meet Congressman Schumer – uh, but I, I, I was one of these guys that really loved a, a good parade. And I was going to, you know, when you walked in, you said, do the Japanese parade. And I'm learning, how did I miss that one? I had in the trunk of my car every flag and, of course, the big sign and the bullhorn. But I remember early on um, what I would also do in addition to parades is that I would go out after a, a primary day and after election day and thank the voters in one of these sound cars with the rabbit ear speakers on the roof. And we were too cheap to actually buy that, so we got this handheld thing, and we tried to rope it onto the roof of the car. And naturally, on the Belt Parker between the Queen side of my district <laughs> and the Brooklyn side of the district, it came flying off. But I loved a good parade, and and I got to tell you, it's a way you can spot a real good politician. Because if you don't like a parade, or if you like to just be in the middle of the crowd with every state assemblyman and everything else. You can probably assign like if you're not willing to go because people give you give you what for they want to take pictures and they want to say nice things but they'll also give you an earful. I love me a good parade, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, no. You would break off from the main body. You would run from one side of the barricades to the other right. side. A high five, shake hands, take the booze, take the slings and arrows. It's something you have to do, as you mentioned. I can see a politician, especially one who isn't that tall like uh, Bill de Blasio or George Pataki was, where they could right. stand out in any crowd. Right. But if you're like an Eric Adams, you're not necessarily that large. You're surrounded by 20 other elected officials and your staff. People don't even know that you were in the parade because the parade just goes. Yes. And then people, the other mistake that a politician makes is they stand behind a banner and then, like, you can't really see, and then you can't really depart from the. It's like I, I, I like to just have a sign, or someone going behind me with the sign, and I would just kind of make make my way up and down the parade. And some parades were more fun than others, but God, parade season is great. But if you are driving into New York City, I know you're a mass transit guy, so am I. If you are driving in New York City this time of year, you better check carefully because just about every weekend. One of the north-south boulevards is got a parade on it just, well, just about say, every day. Next Sunday, I believe it's the Salute to Israel Day Parade. So that'll be packed. First time in like two I'm years. I'm Yisrael Chai. I'm Yisrael Chai. Right, because of the lockdown and pandemic. Then you have upcoming the Puerto Rican Day Parade, the early June. You have a number of other ethnic parades. Tomorrow in Bay Ridge, it's the annual Leif Erikson, Eric Parade Parade of the Norwegians who think that they discovered the new world. Go ahead out there on 3rd Avenue, knock yourself out, argue with them, say Christopher Columbus or St. Brendan the Navigator, they're up for the battle. But everybody's coming out. woman came up to me today at the Japanese parade. Oh, you're coming to the Ecuadorian parade. I said, oh, on Northern Boulevard in Queens. No, we've been upgraded. Central Park West. So you see, you start out in the boroughs. This is how you earn your stripes. You start in the outer boroughs. Then if you get enough cred, what really makes you is if you could end up on Fifth Avenue, that's the big Megilla of all parades. Right. Or now it's Central Park West, which is the small Megilla. But that's the goal and the aim of every ethnic group is to end up in Manhattan. But not to diminish the neighborhood Little League parades, which are obviously, you know, if, if you're the, the, the every opening day, whatever the main shopping strip is in your neighborhood, all the players get in their uniforms. They march with their teams and their parents and their coaches 
They will never leave their neighborhood shopping centers, but those are big because you've got the parents of every single player um, in the neighborhood, and um, those parades are, are are nothing to sneeze at either. The the little league parades, which then culminate with the throwing of a first pitch. The problem with those, from a logistical perspective of a politician, you march in the parade. And then you have to wait till the entire parade gathers to then do the first pitch. And that's an hour on a Sunday when you could be – you're constantly trying to figure out, can I squeeze in another stop before I come back? I don't have those pressures anymore. Now that I'm retired, I just have to get up in the morning and think about being on the air with the great Curtis Slewa, the one who might be mayor, the one who every day probably gets up in the morning and says, if I were mayor – Crime would be lower. If I were mayor, the subways would run on time. Milk and honey would flow in the streets. And you, Curtis, are you still suffering from the Mayor Adams derangement syndrome, or have you started to get over that a little bit? Of course, especially when people come up to me, as they have in northern Queens, where I did uh, pretty damn good. I saw. Compared to uh, Republicans in the past, and they now have posters. They went from bumper stickers to posters. Don't blame me. I voted for Sliwa. (laughs) Because... They, they believe that Mayor Eric Adams is not delivered on his singular number one promise that got him elected mayor, especially in the Democratic primary when he faced a lot of opposition. And he was clearly the law and order candidate. Uh, Maya uh, was not. Obviously, she was the endorsed candidate of AOC. Uh, Kathy Garcia was more of a centrist, but never, never associated with law and order. So he, he basically took that turf. And then when we ran against one another, it's law and order versus law and order. They went with the guy who had been a captain in the police department, uh, who had a record of both uh, pro-law enforcement and at times being anti-law enforcement, depending on the issue. But I think there's a lot of disappointment as to the very slow start out of the box. So I had written a uh, op-ed piece in the Brooklyn Eagle with Bob Capano, uh, who I've been with for years over in the Bay Ridge area. And it just outlined what to do in the subway, because the subways are really the veins and arteries of the city. You, there you can't escape. You know, once you're on a moving train, a subway train, once you're on a platform, it's kind of difficult to get out of there like you can on the street. When you see something ahead of you, you say, oh, man, that doesn't look too good. And you veer it across the street or you go backwards. Once you're stuck in the subway, you're stuck. And what I haven't seen done is basic methods of common sense. To try to relate to the people, because you want women using the system. Without women using the system, they're the majority of the workers. They use nightlife, restaurants, bars more than anyone else. They're the majority of the population. If they stay at home because they are frightened, the city cannot recover. It doesn't matter. Every male could show up. It's not going to recover. You need the female population, and they're the ones who feel most preyed upon. So I said, look, get the uniformed police officers and make sure they're wearing their, their cap. If you notice, the cops, they don't wear their cap anymore. Sometimes they wear a socking cap, but you can't really identify them in a crowd. Wear your police cap, start at the back of a moving train, work every car going up and down, because a lot of times people will come up to you, uh, officer, uh, there's a man who appears to be uh, a bit emotionally disturbed, two cars up. I had to leave that car in order to come here. So the cop immediately responds. You feel like, wow, there's some response. But in the moving uh, subway cars, there are 6,200 that get utilized uh, in prime time in rush hour. Uh, You never see the cops going up and down. There are no cameras 
on the uh, moving subway cars, which you say, gee, there are cameras everywhere. How come they haven't put cameras in each and every one of the cars? Simple things like that will make people feel a lot better, even when they don't see a police officer from time to time. But the way it is now, you get on a moving subway train, you'll never see a cop on the train unless they happen to be getting on and getting off, you know, when their period of duty is over. And that's a major, major mistake. You can't just clump them all up on platforms or junctions and think they're going to be able to uh, be able to convey to people that the subway system is safe again. Yeah, I mean, look, there is, and there are other elements of your op-ed as, as well, and I would encourage it. It was in the Brooklyn, where was it published? In the Brooklyn Eagle? Yeah, the Brooklyn Eagle. So, I mean, I've always believed that the visibility of police officers is paramount. Getting them out of their RMPs, out of their cars, getting them on the street getting them walking individually, not all the time in pairs, just to cover more ground. You're right. You don't have to do it too many times for people to get it in their head, both the bad guys and the citizenry, that, you know, it's part of the background of our lives. I think there are practical things that go on in the subways that make walking up and down, like walking up and down the six train during rush hour, you'll get half a train length, uh, basically, by the time you're you're at the next stop. I'm not sure how practically it would work, but I agree with you. Being visible is a thing. I am the the perspective that I am wondering about, though, is the idea that we're going to arrest our way out of this problem is that, you know, we had this this idea of moving police officers under Jack Maple and Rudy Giuliani to where the hot spots were focusing on those things and then arguably moving the next week to somewhere else. What we found, though, in the Bloomberg years during the height of stop and frisk was 600,000, 700,000 people were being stopped frisked, and then charged with nothing. So that's a half a million stops of people that did nothing wrong, citizens like you and I. And by the way, people like you and I were not getting stopped when they started to look at the data. It was people that looked very different. Their arrests have now been up for the last couple of months. Crime is down a little bit in some places, but basically index crimes are up very high. I don't think you're going to arrest your way out of this problem, especially when you look nationally. You have crime spiking in places that don't have bail reform issues, that don't have the kind of unique situation that we have. It does seem like crime is going up nationally for reasons that have very little to do with the specific circumstances. Well, I'll give you a perfect example from the extreme points of view of doing nothing and then overcharging. Uh, You saw the guava uh, woman, Central American woman who was selling guava melon on the platform at Broadway Junction. It's one of the largest uh, stations in the city. About 100,000 passengers move through it. A train below uh, L train that I used to ride on since I was five years old. It used to be called the lousy line above with the J line. And there's a lot of people coming and going. And so she's upstairs. She's selling guava. They arrested her. They had warned her before, get off the station. She didn't abide by it. They took her out in uh, handcuffs. They videoed it and went viral. It's like the charro women, you know, the women who sell charro in the subways. You don't need an optical situation like that because then it seems like you're going overboard when, in fact, there are a lot of people in the system who are committing crimes every day that you're ignoring. Don't do that. And then Eric Adams defended it. And they made fun of him at the Robin Hood uh, Dinner Foundation when the comedian from Saturday Night Live said, really, Eric Adams, the woman selling guava, you're taking her out in chains and shackles. And they did a cavity search on her. It was ridiculous. It's like, this is not public enemy number one. It looks bad. It doesn't deter them. Uh, Figure out a place where they can sell. You can license them because they're going to sell anyway. They don't mind getting tickets, 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 because let's face it, most times they're not even going to show up. 
and, and they're going to fall through the cracks. So why even bother and waste the time of police officers in doing that? Yeah, I mean, it would look terrible. And, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I think perceptions sometimes get overblown. But I would not mind if you're going to do that type of perception thing, get some fair, fair beaters, you know, have a video set up to catch people jumping over in, into the arms of, of a cop that, you know, or something like that, whether you prosecute them through the system is a whole different thing whatever you do just again to plant the flag a little bit it didn't look very good and i think that the problem that you always have when you're the mayor is you're caught in this false choice between being supportive of the cops or not being you can be supportive of your cops and still say look mistakes happen this was someone trying to do their job we're gonna have a conversation with them it's not the end of the world but no you don't need to arrest this person but I'm going to tell you something. If you're someone who's doing something illegal in the subway, this is the chance you take. And I think that was the tone that Eric Adams tried to strike. Basically, if you don't want to be arrested, if you don't want to have trouble with the law, abide by the rules of the subway system. So they're kind of caught in this vice. But it certainly did not look very good. And it got blown up everywhere. A buddy of mine who saw it, who doesn't even live in New York, saw it and said, you know, this is a real, you know, made a joke about the the great a guava crackdown of 2022. Uh, it, it it didn't look great. I, I would like to see the mayor, and if I were mayor, I would be, I'm going to support my police, but that doesn't mean everything they do is right. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be mistakes. There so, aren't going to uh, be the abuses. Uh, can we agree that Charo, the long breadstick, yes. could be considered a lethal weapon like an old billy club? That, that the Charo lady might actually come up and go, kabong, kabong. First of all, most of these women, is they from Central America or Mexico? They're like four foot, five, five foot. They're not a threat to anyone. You never see guys around them. It's always generally the woman by herself, the charo lady, the guava lady. The optics are horrible. Agreed. And I can't believe that the cops want to crack down on the charo ladies. I have to believe they're saying, no, no. no." Some supervisor came down and said, sweep, we want these to be swept clean. And I wouldn't be surprised if the MTA is leaning on the cops so like they're bare, you know, I think there is this broken window view of the subways of chaos is what we got to crack down on. Let's show that it is not a chaotic place. And, yes, you ideally don't want people selling f- foodstuffs out of a back of a of a shopping cart. Uh, yes, I get that. What probably happened here is a super these cops were probably doing what their supervisor said they wanted them to do, maybe a tad overzealously. Or maybe I don't even know what the patrol guide said. It might be that the handcuffs were just with a standard operating procedure if you have someone that you're taking into custody. I mean, and that might be for the protection of the officer as well. Whatever it is, when Mrs. Crapalucci in Avenue P opens up the Daily News, the New York Post, and sees that going on, she's got to scratch her head and say, is this really? I don't know. This, this is uh, the health guy, the health mayor, guava, overeating candies, and good and plenty, plenty good, and juju beats, and everything else that is sold at those newsstands, the few remaining that are open right. in the subway, that don't even sell newspapers anymore. Why, Anthony Weiner, do they call them newsstands? When they don't even sell newspapers. This is true. It's all about candy. It's all about vape products. It's all about charges, you know, for your iPhones. They don't sell newspapers you know, at all. You know, it's funny. There, there used to be, and I think it's still in the in, in the city law, that the what they said is you can sell whatever you want so long as it's not above a certain price. And so constantly the newsstand operators were petitioning to get above, to, to, to be able to have more and more things. Now it's all kinds of tchotchkes at a, at a, at a newsstand, but they're fewer and far between. You know, and, and when I walk by the newsstand on 14th Street with, with Jordan and Huma in the morning on the way to drop off Jordan to school, 
It's not like they start out with a giant pile of newspapers anymore. It's no. like five or six newspapers. No, no, no. People, very few. Uh, I'm old school. I'm sure yeah. you're old school. You like that hard copy in your hand. I'm a clutterer. I collect newspapers from six years ago. And people say to me, Anthony, come on, uh, go ahead. All right, you're a recycling buff. Recycle it. I can't because there's something in there I know I missed. I know eventually I'll get back to it and read it. They actually had it, the old WABC, they brought in a clutter expert who sat down and gave me therapy and said, I want you to touch each and every one of these newspapers before you put it in the recycling bin. You know, Anthony, the first two days of it, I was shaking. That's wild. I was shaking. Well, that is is a clinical thing. I remember there was this great New Yorker profile of this guy who read every New York Times cover to cover, but naturally he was literally years behind. You know, because it takes so long. Yeah. You know how much the how much the time. And now let's not forget the Colliers brothers. They had collected so many newspapers, stuffed it with money, that the newspapers collapsed on yeah. one of them, yeah, and killed them on the spot. Them. That's the only way they found out about the Colliers brothers and their cluttering situation. And you know something? If they hadn't done an intervention in WABC a month of Sundays ago. Uh, I might have been one of those Collier's brothers. At one time, collapsed on one of my interns. We had to dig him out. That's, that's, I asked him to run in there during the middle of the program, and it collapsed on him, and all you heard was screams, muffled it's, screams. It's not going to be the Gaudis or someone in the subways. <laughs> you are going to meet your end when a pile of New York Post falls on top of your head. That that would be the way for you to go. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Yeah, this certainly isn't mine. How come you didn't come in with the Ramones, Rockaway Beach, the classic? Because that's what we're going to be talking about now. Coulda. That's true. Woulda, shoulda, coulda. By the way, by the way, Joe Ramon, the first time his name was uttered on the floor of Congress was by me ah. to, to honor him. I can't remember why, but he was a Forest Hills guy. And uh, I got to go back and look for it when I get back to the apartment like to find out why it was I mentioned him. I think it was a birthday party, a birthday well, of his. I had a uh, really heated sit down with Congressman Joe Crowley at the time. He was the Queens County Democratic uh, leader. And we were in it on, on Queens Boulevard. He thought they had the best Italian food ever. I said, oh, my God. The Irish, they really don't know what good food is. But anyway, the only way we stopped arguing, because he sings. He's a singer. He is. Singer and He's pretty player. good. And I'm the producer of a Broadway show nowadays. Yeah. And he started singing Ramon songs. That first one, Rockaway Beach. And it was really good. And it simmered me down. <laughs> And I was thinking of that yesterday because on Friday the 13th, I was in the Rockaways, your old congressional district, going up and down 116th Street, which uh, has been devastated because of the lockdown and pandemic. A lot of those mom and pop shops are closed. They may never open back up. And the city announced that right after the Memorial Day weekend, which is the official start of beach season in New York City, that from Beach 92nd Street to uh, Beach 116th Street, which people love those beaches. They're so good, especially the hipsters and millennials who travel all the way in from Brooklyn and Queens to go there, will be closed for two months while they do beach nourishment. And I'm asking, Anthony, why couldn't they have done that in the winter when nothing was going on in that beach? Why in the middle of beach season? Yeah, it's not a seasonal problem. It's a giant piece of civic engineering, and this goes way back 
For years, the sand that we've been putting on the rock, when I say we because this was an issue that I worked on when I was blessed enough to be representing the about half the Rockaways, the problem is that Mother Nature takes the sand away from the beach. And the, and the jetties that were built back in the old days, which are further east from there, made the situation worse because it makes us swirling. Remember, we had a spate of people that got lost in the, in the, um, in the riptides further east from there. In order to keep the sand where it is and also to protect the homes on the peninsula, the answer is and has always been to replenish the sand, yes, but also to put groins or jetties that kind of keep the sand in place. Building those types of things, which are basically big stone tees of certain sizes, engineers have come up with the, 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 which size they should be, is a big piece of civic engineering, and you need access to the beach to do it. Access to blow the sand onto the beach, but also to build these jetties, and it's more than just a season. And secondly, in the wintertime and in the colder months, when the, the, it gets very choppy and very difficult to do the work, and also these giant pipes that take the sand, dredge it out about where, about where the ships are, and then blow it onto the beach can't work in the really, really freezing cold. It's not a lot different than a lot of civic engineering that we do here in the city. But I think most people in the Rockaways would say they'd prefer that than a lot of dunes, which is the other proposal that was very controversial back in the day of building dunes on the beach to keep the sand in place. The long story the, – to make the long story short – the peninsula of the Rockaways is the largest populated barrier island in the world. It's not a vacation place. It's not a little spit of land that you go to go surfing. There's hundreds of thousands of people that live there. They've got the bay on the one side, the ocean on the other side. So doing something to protect the people on the ocean side is really to protect all of Rockaway. So I'm glad they're finally doing it. Um, and I'm glad that they're getting the attention. It is regrettable that it's during the summer but at least it's in the area, it's in those areas that, um, that, the, that, frankly, you can spread further to the east. You really can't go to the west very much because then you're running into Bell Harbor, Neponset, and Rockaway Beach, which are not private in the sense that you can't go there. But there's, there's really no place to park or anything like that. Uh, so I'm glad they're doing the work, but I haven't read The Wave recently. I don't know how controversial this oh, is. Oh Well, by the way, if uh, you had the time, you should go tomorrow to Beach 92nd Street on the boardwalk, the new reconstructed boardwalk uh, that was wiped out during Superstorm Sandy 2012, and tell that to the outraged crowd that's going to be there saying, we're, we're finally recovering. Business is here. We depend on those hipsters and millennials flooding in here yeah. right after Memorial Day weekend. You're killing us. You're killing us. This is a con- this is a uh, uh, what is the expression? This is a town and gown kind of conflict. You have the residents there who very much have been who have been petitioning for years to have these jetties to, and it's always a fight to get the sand replaced because sooner or later, probably sooner, the federal government is going to say we are tired of doing these major projects of blowing sand onto these res- these beach communities because it's not a lot of not a lot of congressional districts are benefiting from it anymore and sooner or later budgets being what they are congress is going to say no more we're not going to use it we're not going to do it on the, the the coast of delaware we're not going to do the coast of new jersey we're not to do the coast of new york anymore and that's why you've got to build the infrastructure to hold the sand where it is well that's why chris christie said tough nuggies jersey shore you got to have dunes remember they were taking him to court the communities all up and down from Wildwood to Point Pleasant, 
saying, no, 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 in the aftermath of Stupid Storm Sandy there, he said, we got to have dunes, massive dunes, so that if you have a beach house, you're not even going to be able to see the ocean. The dunes are going to be so high. The great dunes fights of Rockaways of the the late 90s and the early 2000s. When I was a congressman representing there, before the dune fights, I was 6'4", 240. This is all that's left of me after being in the middle of that that fight. I don't want to be there again. If you were there tomorrow, 2 o'clock, on Beach 92nd Street, with the rally of those in the Rockaways and the Ponset, uh, even as far away as Broad Channel. Uh, and they're going to be protesting the closing of the beaches for two months. Remember that famous uh, picture, I think it was Blackbeard, where his fellow pirates buried him up to his neck right near where the water was coming. And Blackbeard was cursing. No, I'm never going to tell you where the gold is that the balloons are. And the water ended up smothering him and choking him to death. They would bury you right up into your neck. I have to tell you something. I don't miss a lot of being a member of Congress. I miss the Rockaways so dearly. I love the Rockaways. I mean, I I got to even when they didn't like me and when we disagreed on stuff – there is just something about that community. Maybe it's the concentration of civil servants. Maybe it's the concentration of people of first responders, the concentration of veterans. I don't know what it is, but I, I, if, if I could spend an afternoon anywhere in the city, it would be in the Rockaway. Anthony, you missed it in its heyday. The 60s right on up to 1970. Rockaway Playland right there, Beach 98th Street. I and my cousins used to go there because Coney Island was too packed. Right. The water. Uh, at times it was like uh, turlet water there because so many people were in the water and it didn't have the movement of the water of the Atlantic Ocean. You hit the Rockaways right off of Beach 98. First of all, they had uh, the Atom uh, Smasher, which was a great, great roller coaster, wooden roller coaster. They had everything that Coney Island had, but space, you know, you didn't feel like you were claustrophobic. And then you could go out to the magnificent it? beach, Where- 8th Street. Uh, on the bay fact, side? Yeah. No, it was on the uh, ocean side, right uh-huh. along the ocean. And in fact... Oh, I know where you see. Yeah, I know where At I the know. subway station, it even says Rockaway Playland. Yes. Oh, yes. it was so great. I tell you, they ended up having like uh, one and a half million people between like uh, the end of World War II... And then 1970, and then it started going downhill. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Sid Rosenberg recently moved out there, and uh, I have to tell you something. I mean, it is a real hidden gem, and never mind the Hamptons. And my brother Jason lives out in the Hamptons. I, I, they're the most beautiful beaches I've ever been to in my life. Are Rockaway beaches? They're they are they're gorgeous white sand. They are they they spay. They go on for forever. Uh, it's it's an amazing community, but unfortunately, global climate change changes in 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 water. That those beaches get wiped out. They just get wiped out. It doesn't need to be a big storm either. And you wind up, you know, yards and yards of sand wind up disappearing and they have to do something to retain it. Now, I get the idea. Why can't you do this at a time that the weather is 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 uh, uh, when you why can't you do it when it's not the summer weather? Well, they still have to leave the staging equipment there. They'd still have to have the piping and everything else coming in from out there if they suspended it over the summer. I'm going to leave it to who is it? Congressman Meeks there now? I don't even know who represents. Yeah, that no, area. no. He first of all, he's not as integrally involved as you were when you represented that district. You were out there all the time. Uh, look, he represents most of that district now. But I got to tell you, people were in a cycle. In fact, I was at Beach 119th Street yesterday, and a black cat ran in front of me. And some of the Altacacas who are from the senior citizen home said, "Oh." Curtis, bad luck, bad luck, Friday the 13th. I said, no, for me, when a cat runs in front of me, it's really good luck. It's really good luck. So it defies all logic. 
Anyway, I hope they keep those beaches open. The uh, the uh, local vendors, they desperately need it because yeah. they're mom-and-pop shops. They'll never survive a summer without those hipsters and millennials flooding in from northern Queens and northern uh, and, uh, and, and they, they can come by ferry now. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. I, I hope that people can, can still thrive, but the work... Has to get done. We have to save that beach from Mother Nature. Well, up next, so we got to talk about, we'll call it the Trinity, the Trika, the Troika. Your days under probation are over as of last night, as 12 of Friday uh, the midnight. 13th, yeah. The problem of recidivism for a lot of people who are incarcerated and get reincarcerated. And the bomb that is ready to explode at any moment, Rikers Island, where it wasn't just an inmate who uh, committed suicide, but if you notice the other day, a correctional officer yeah. jumped off the Verrazano Bridge because total chaos and anarchy prevails on Rikers Island, and nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh, this is really your speed, Anthony. This is really your speed. See, I like jangly acoustic intros, yeah, that have kind of an uplifting, unifying vibe. You know, I failed to mention in our previous segment about Rockaway Beach, if you go to 77 WABC Radio on Instagram, you will see the pictures that I posted at a haunted house yesterday in the Rockaways because it was Friday the 13th. Me sliding down the pole of the uh, hook and ladder uh, FDNY station house on 116th. And, of course, me defying uh, uh, all the fears about Friday the 13th and dealing with a black cat that passed in front of me. Just go to WABC, 77 WABC Radio uh, on uh, Instagram, and you can see a panoply of all pictures, not only of myself posting, but almost everybody here at WABC. And you are undeterred by any kind of a cat walking anywhere near you, around you, in front of you. That's not the way to bug you, but, but you know, having cats wandering. Well, it, remember, I'm uh, employed by the cat man who actually ran for me in 2013 as the cat man. Right. Uh, and at that time, uh, I was uh, campaigning for Melinda Katz. So we happened to be in Ridgewood. His group met my group in the middle. He had cat for mayor, the cat man for mayor. I had cats at that time for borough president. Very confusing to yes. a lot of people and, out there. And then when you're, when, uh, I mean, and now your your day is, how many cats do you have at home? 18. 18. Rescue cats. And the other thing I have are the pigeons. The pigeons that follow me everywhere. They follow my red beret. When I go in the yes. subway, it's almost like they, they have a homing device. They come right to 77 WABC. I actually took pictures of them. They were just like, it was like uh, Otto Preminger's, uh, you know, the birds. Right. They're just waiting there. You know, this is more evidence that. When the body snatchers come and you're replaced, yes. we won't be fooled for a minute because there's no way any kind of a foreign alien species would ever replicate all these various idiosyncrasies of your life. There would be a giveaway. Well, not only was I raised with pigeons uh, on a pigeon coop uh, on top of the house by my uncle Vincenzo in Canarsie, but I was always moved by that movie by Burt Lancaster – the Birdman of Alcatraz. Remember, now, he was a very violent criminal. He was locked up, triple life without parole, the worst place you'd want to be, Alcatraz. 
But he was friends to all the birds. That was a great movie that humanized him. But that's the most extreme form of incarceration. Now, you were dancing the horror before the Tarantella because you've just finished what period of time when you were under the probation of the federal government of the United States? So my sentence was 21 months in prison, followers of paper, as we say, three years of probation. And I just finished the three years of probation. And and as I was explaining in the last hour, you know, it, it involves limits on where you can travel. You've got to get permission before you travel too far from New York. There, you know, your employer has to be notified that there are certain restrictions on your activities and the like. And it was overall not a hugely burdensome thing, and I, I and I, I really honor the work that the probation department does. But it did make me think frequently that if the probation processes and infrastructure were as good on the state level as they are on the federal level, um, we'd be a lot better off. Because if we released someone on bail, or if we released someone pending. Uh, pending sentencing, or if someone came back to the community after being away, if we had a robust probation system that really tracked and monitored these people, the idea of someone coming before the bar of justice 20, 30, 40 times would never happen. Just practically speaking, it wouldn't happen because someone would have been assigned to keep an eye on that that particular well, when, person. When you say keep an eye, uh, how many times we read about stories in which people get rearrested, reincarcerated for very violent crimes? And we heard that they have been cut loose, no bail, but under supervised release. And we say, what is supervised release? Because, A, the number of probation agents, parole agents uh, at the state and the city level has to be minimal compared to the number of people who have already served time or on supervised uh, release. Uh, What was supervised release like at the federal level? For instance, you went from a prison to a halfway house to your own home. Uh, If you had violated any of the tenants... Uh, established in your probationary period, what were the ramifications? Well, at the at the extreme end was an express visit back before the judge who doesn't like it when you break the rules he or she sets down. Mm. And it could have meant I would go back to it, it, to go back to prison. It was not unfamiliar to have someone reappear at prison after they had been released because they violated conditions of their parole in such a way that the probation officer is the only sanction that I think is appropriate is to send them back. Now, it's interesting, though, because we have this instinct, and I hate to say this, Curtis, you went to it a little bit in your op-ed in the, in, the, in, the Dale, in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle, which I really enjoyed. Police, 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 police. We don't hear enough about increasing the infrastructure of the courts, increasing the infrastructure of probation, increasing the infrastructure at the prisons. All of these things which are less glamorous but are equally problematic – you know, you mentioned it. We lost a uniformed, uh, a uniform worker at the prisons. Uh, someone who was a, a, a correctional officer committed suicide this this year, uh, this this week. We have an overwhelming demand. They're getting overrun. You know, you can have an argument of what's going wrong in Rikers, and we can we can depart and go into that. But one of it is we just don't have the resources there that we need. The courts complain about the same thing. We can't keep track of all these people. Probation is the same thing. So it's got to be more than just hiring 7,000 more cops. We also have to say the probation has to be bolstered as well. Now, in the case of the federal government, and, you know, they are both – they're both extremes. In, in, in one case, the sentences are much tougher. No one ever goes to prison like I did for obscenity under state law. So you do wind up going to prison for things you might not have gone to. But they do have a very robust probation office which tracks you, keeps an eye on you, keeps an eye on who you're calling on your phone, shows up at your apartment every so often – We'll go uh, make sure that you're really working. We'll make sure that you're working and we'll make ask for pay stubs, things like that. Uh, I tell you, if someone knew 
that when they were released on their own reconnaissance, but they also had a probation officer that really was going to make sure that they were on, on the arrow. You know, one of the things that Alvin Bragg announced that he wasn't going to prosecute anymore were people that had technical violations of their parole. I think that's a mistake. I think although technical is what he said, any violation kind of shows that they're cutting corners. And this is this is a population that if they cut little corners, it can lead to bigger corners. And I really think that we have to f- have more emphasis on when guys that are out pending anything, pending an appearance, pending an arraignment, that we have some form of supervision from them so we don't have as much recidivism. Well, look, uh, the big panacea that was created because of technological improvements was we'll give you a bracelet. We'll monitor your ankle bracelet. It's not the ankle bracelet you bought for your girlfriend at Fortune Offs a month or Sundays ago. It's the ankle bracelet that they put on you that should track your movement. So if you're supposed to be under home incarceration, which oftentimes that's really what supervised release is, you have the ankle bracelet. But as we saw with uh, (laughs) probably the biggest perv ever to hit Hollywood in modern times, um, when he was doing an interview with the uh, New York Post, he actually had his ankle bracelet up on the wall. And the New York Post reporter said to him, hey, hey, why is your ankle bracelet up on the wall? It's supposed to be on your ankle. Well, you know, it gets uh, scratchy from there are ways to remove that. In fact, there was one person uh, down in Florida who was under home supervision with an ankle bracelet. He took it off. He put it around his cat's neck. So the cat was walking always around the apartment. Meantime, he was on his car and he was committing crimes. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not saying that that I mean, technology is in. Prove now. I mean, if you have a, a telephone now, that can effectively be a tracking device as well for the authorities. I think the real thing is, is that if we have the second line of defense, which is you've got the police that are the first line of defense that go and catch these guys, and then you have the courts that process them, whatever we may think about the, the bail laws, the bail laws are responsible for maybe one or two or three percent more people out on the street, not. 75% more people back out on the street. Now, you can say that those are dangerous people and we got to do whatever. I'm, we can have that conversation. But, but our problem, I believe, is that we need to bolster all the levels of in, uh, all the infrastructure on both the enforcement, incarceration, supervision, and then and then prevention side. Like we have to also make sure that we're not just dumping these people in the same communities that led them to cause crimes to, to begin with. And the experience that I had in three years, and I'm not going to say it was fun, but I will say, and I accepted responsibility, and I accepted this as well, that this was going to be part of my sentence, was that I knew that someone was looking over my shoulder. And I knew that if I wanted to go travel out to, to, to visit my, my brother in Bridgehampton, I had to fill out a form and I had to let them know 10 days in advance and I had to wait to be approved. That kind of looking, having someone looking over the, over the shoulder is an important part of this system. Not that I was looking to cut corners, but when you consider the fact that we read stories all the time, of people six, seven, eight, nine, ten times being being returned to their home without any real supervision, told to show back up in six months, and then committing five crimes in that six months, this would be at least part of the problem. Well, we saw recently, I had mentioned about Harvey Weinstein uh, taking the ankle bracelet off, doing an interview with the New York Post, and not realizing he got cold busted by the Post. You know, that's supposed to be on your ankle. Uh, out in L.A., he's in L.A. County because he's on trial again. He got busted with Malamar's underneath his uh, his mattress in his cell. Uh, when you were in prison, how often did the federal authorities who run the prison actually come in and toss uh, your cell? It would happen regularly. It would happen every every so month, every few months or so, and and they would go through it. And every they do something else, they would sometimes announce, "Okay, Monday, 
everyone is switching their cells just so that like if you were, I don't know, digging a hole or if you were, if you had gotten too comfortable there, whatever it is, uh, like everyone picks up and moves to like the other, the, the corresponding aisle on the other side. So that happened, that happened a fair amount. Um, now the, the, the place that I was at was a, was a place in Massachusetts where a lot of guys got sent if they had already been busted for having a cell phone or busted for doing, for violating some rule. And this was a place that they would go it was an administrative facility. Um, and they also, the reason I was there is they also had politician types there, you know, people that might have targets on their back for whatever reason. Um, but it would happen and it kept people honest. It was, there was corner cutting going on. There were people that, that perhaps, you know, it, I, I, I've described before, I, I lived in the, um, I shared a cell with the guy who was the, who was the store for the unit and he would store stuff in his, uh, in, in, in his locker that he would buy from the commissary and then exchange with guys who didn't have money at the time or wouldn't have money till the end of the month or wanted to trade a bag of tuna for a bag of mackerel or a bag of corn chips or wanted to make something for the football game that evening or something like that. He ran the store. Um, Technically, that was all in violation of the rules. You're supposed to only have as much in your locker as whatever some budget allotted. So it wasn't like it was the kind of thing that every day people were getting busted for it. But there was a regular rigor of the process that people got got used to. And the and a good facility, and sometimes it tipped, didn't have too many people bending the rules, but also didn't have officers who were on a jihad to make an example out of it. And, and I remember there was a circumstance we had a particular officer who was so hell-bent on putting his imprint on the place and saying there's a new sheriff in town um, that he moved mail call to instead of being after dinner, he moved it to the very last thing before lights went out. And there was – and that and mail is – 90% of the morale in a unit is when there's mail call. Guys gather around and that magazine that they get or the letter that they get from home or the picture that they get is enormously significant. And he was doing this to make an example out of one particular guy. We, I don't remember what it was. And the place got very, very tense to the point that they had to move the officer, bring in some additional officers. Things got tense. It's like, like a good officer on the street understanding you want to keep order you want to make it clear that there's not going to be – but you're not going to arrest someone for selling, for selling mangoes or for selling papayas. Like that's not the way you keep order because people lose respect for that as well. But the bottom line to all of this, I, I sit here a very grateful person. I'm grateful that all of this was important to me getting to the other side. All of it was important for me showing Jordan what it looks like to accept responsibility and to have, and, and, and to have punishment for, for the things that you do when that's appropriate. And all of it is about, you know, kind of an understanding how grateful I am to be sitting here with you, how grateful I am to John Katsimatidis for the opportunity, to the to the many callers that called in today and had very kind and supportive things to say. I'm feeling a lot of gratitude today. Now, uh, the halfway house that you went to before you were under supervised release at your apartment, uh, how good was the supervision there, let's say, compared to when you were in the federal lockup? Well, I want to be delicate about this because I just got done saying that I was grateful and I know that people are doing the best that they can. But the 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 halfway houses are not run by the Bureau of Prisons. They are they are um, contracted out. They're basically flop houses. They are not run very well. They're not run with any real concern either for public safety or for the safety of the people that are inside. And unlike prisons where there is a ratio of people that are there to enforce law, halfway houses in theory, you're somewhat at liberty. You can't come and go completely as you please, but you're somewhat at liberty. 
And they can be – that was a pretty dicey experience, I'll be honest with you, um, because you had all different types of people and all different criminal backgrounds and all different levels. You had some guys that were coming out after being inside for 15 years who really needed a lot of support to, like, be reintegrated, who, you know, the idea of a cell phone was completely mysterious. And then you had people like me who had friends and family who could easily have said, just come sleep on our couch and check in every once in a while. But instead, they chose to keep me there because – in my case, they neither did anything to show favoritism, but also made sure that I was not my head was not up on a spike somewhere in the in the prison yard. So they they I was safe, not without some turbulence, but I was safe. But also they did nothing to make it appear that I was getting anything special. So so ninety days in a halfway house was ninety days in a halfway house, not a single day left. I saw that that Michael Cohen got out after about you know he was in, in, in home detention almost immediately. Um, but I don't begrudge anyone who gets out of the halfway house. It's not a great experience. Well, anyway, I'm next because it's a uh, judge you didn't want to have to face if you violated your probation. Uh, we'll talk about the many demonstrations that have occurred outside of the homes in the beltway of the U.S. Supreme Court justices and whether that's okay as part of your, uh, your First Amendment right of free speech or if that's crossing the Maginot line. Right here, Anthony Weiner. A free and clear after being on probation. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, free and clear to get into the subways when we finish here at 4 o'clock on 77 a.m. WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Sliwa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. This was the first heavy metal band mounted. In fact, the lead guitarist, West, that was truncated from name, came out of Forest Hills. He had Felix Capilardi, Corky Lang. They were at Woodstock. Thank God we had a little infusion of heavy metal hands. Speaking of heavy metal, uh, overnight, you know, it's Frank Morano, the other side of uh, midnight. The best of the other side will follow us for an hour. But there's an ongoing battle going on that I'm trying to referee between Greg Kelly, who's on one to three, Monday through Fridays, and Michael Mbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, three to four, over Godfather trivia. They're at war about Godfather trivia. And I'm trying to monitor that. So that's why you want to listen again tonight from 12 midnight to six, because we're getting right back into it. They're actually disagree on aspects of the Godfather, which bridge, which restaurant, which location, which basement. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. Um, also, you know, I'm not much of a radio insider, but you're doing amazing on the overnights. And I realize now you need the hairband music because you need that energy yes. in the overnight. Oh, yes. I'm used to being on the afternoon, Saturday, a little more chill, a little more kicking back, you know, that kind of thing. So I, 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 have, to, I have to take that into consideration when your visits of the you know the greatest hits of 1975 on uh, what was the rock station it was the WNWFM at the time was That's the right. rock station uh, right Allison Bird uh, and the, PLJ was also more class I mean it wasn't classic rock then it was just rock right but it, it still it wasn't freeform music like WNEW right Dennis uh, Elsis right. and uh, what was the guy in the middle of the night on the Fridays and Saturday uh, me and Wazoo Kelly what was his name there was some great 
DJ characters in New York. Yeah, they were great. Uh, They not only told stories of going to concerts, but they played music that you would never hear on a commercial radio station. Correct. And then they ended that. They basically ended the uh, era of the jocks. Which is why I think that 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 Jack and Batiste, Cats and Matisse, and here who we do music, we do very well on the weekends. I think always people are nostalgic for that. You don't on-demand iPod music is not the same as tuning into a radio. It's just not the same. It has a whole different ethos. Well, I tell you, uh, a star was born the other night. You were there. Uh, the dinner put on by John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners of Red Apple Media, our parent company at WABC, for all the ratings achievements of all the different shows. And a real star was born, Vinny Meduno, uh, yeah. who is a teacher uh, at uh, Richmond High School in Staten Island, right in the shadow of the Bayonne Bridge. Uh, he got up there with Joe Piscopo. He was doing all kinds of songs, singing songs. I mean, Jay Black, he hit those high notes like nobody normally can. And then he did Bobby Vinton. He did a whole host yeah. of songs. He's on after uh, Frank, the best of the other side of midnight from 5 to 6. And then it doesn't get better. Uh, Cousin Brucey from 6 to 10. And then Tony Orlando from 10 to 12. And then I'm back on in the overnights. But he kind of keep that energy going. I'm like the Red Bull of the night. I'm not going to let you go to sleep. <laughs> I had somebody fall asleep on me. Eileen from Queen snoring on me. Really? And they made a promo out of it. That's the most embarrassing thing that can happen to you as a host in talk radio. We have that problem with Kevin on the other side of the glass most Saturday afternoons yes. because his Friday his Friday nights are so rigorous. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm telling you, my job is to keep you pumping and jumping so that you join the fraternity and the sorority of what I call insomaniacs, those with insomnia. I don't let you go to sleep until uh, it's 6 a.m. And then, you know, you go to sleep for a few hours and you, you wake up back to WABC. But real quick, the demonstrations outside of the U.S. Supreme Court justices uh, uh, taking place. Uh, what's your position on that? Norms are not – our norms are getting busted left and right here. I have – I don't have a problem with people gathering on the steps of the, of the Supreme Court and protesting. I don't have problems. It wasn't uncommon for me to have a protest in front of my home. Chuck Schumer has them in front of his home all the time. That's a form of democracy. When it crosses over into intimidation, I have a problem with it. And the way things are so charged right now, I think we have to make sure to protect the judges and their employees. But I don't have a problem with people protesting. I, I mean, that's that's what's going to happen. That's They are part of the system here. They are not immune from it. And um, whether they see it in front of their homes or see it on television, I think the, the judges have to know that there is a public opinion out there. Now, does this uh, include the most reviled of all judges, the traffic court judges who slam you with all kinds of tickets? Can we show up outside of their homes? Because let's face it, they cost you money, sometimes hundreds, thousands of dollars. And they're the most anonymous. Like if you want to look up a judge to go write him a letter, you can't really do it. And imagine protesting outside those red light cameras who catch you. Like then then there's no one to listen to you. That's right. And when you go to a restaurant, normally they say, oh, you know, Supreme Court judge here. Uh, they have uh, the, the best seats. Traffic court judge show, shows up. They said, see if you can find them a, a spot in the kitchen because exactly. everybody loathes traffic court judges. Who likes a traffic court judge? It's true. Anyway, enjoy uh, the hockey, the seventh game. You have Rangers versus uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. You have five seven games this weekend. The first time since 1992 there's been that many. Wow, what a way to celebrate your release from probation. So enjoy yourself. Knock yourself out, uh, you know, watching the pucks flying around there. And I'll be out Bay Ridge tomorrow. The Norwegian Day Parade where they think it's Lee Ferrisson and Eric DeRed who discovered the new world. <laughs> Not...